I'm Alex Mosed and welcome to Winner Take All. Our last video from from uh, from this set here today, unfortunately, it's probably been one of my favorite sets. So what happened uh, this morning is I was on uh, Maria's show, um, Mornings with Maria. One of the things we spoke about was TikTok. We spoke about Platt. We spoke about... Uh, you know, just platform stocks being on fire and why that is and, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, the, the news around TikTok is that they came out with Beijing on Friday added uncertainty to already thorny negotiations over the sale of by dance prized asset TikTok. With tighter restrictions on artificial intelligence exports, the Commerce Ministry added speech and text recognition and personalized recommendations to a list of products that require approval uh, before they're sold abroad. I mean, this isn't news. Um, we've spoken about this, that again, the reason for Kevin, the uh, former CEO of TikTok, the reason for his departure is really a function of his own mistakes of joining TikTok in the first place, but also the, the uh, the fact that the CCP is really running the show on what happens to TikTok, right? Yes, you have Zhang Yiming, the CEO of ByteDance, but you know he has influence, but he's not actually the decision maker, right? In sales, going to say, what are the sales roles of the people on the team? Influencer, then you have decision maker. Zhang is an influencer. And CCP is decision maker. Here's a little snippet. Let's talk about China and TikTok. A deal to sell that app's U.S. division reportedly now stalled over new Chinese restrictions on exporting artificial intelligence or AI. TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, in talks with companies including Microsoft, Walmart, and Oracle. The Trump administration has set a mid-September deadline for a deal. Alex, what do you make of this? Uh, this deal scares me, and I think I think the ban is appropriate, um, as we've seen with the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. striking down the sale of Grinder, which is like Tinder for the LGBT community. They struck that down over similar concerns around privacy. The ban is appropriate. What scares me is, frankly, potential sabotage, um, not necessarily by ByteDance, but by the CCP. We know the CCP likes to control their image internationally and they don't want to be seen as being strong-handed by the u.s to sell mm -hmm. their prized asset in TikTok. so you know you have 14 million lines of source code here um there if if you're front-loading any if it's a 25 billion dollar check and you're front-loading that cash to bite dance i think there's a real risk that you don't really know what you're getting uh mm -hmm. until very long after the purchase date so that's the first concern is around, frankly, just nefarious activity. Maybe ByteDance doesn't even want it to happen, but all of the product and engineering of TikTok uh, is in China. And there's only so much control that ByteDance has relative to the Chinese government's influence on the employees. Second concern is just the people. You're buying the shell of a company, right? You're buying code and data. But who are all the people that are going to work on this business? Microsoft doesn't have a 
consumer, you know, content platform business with just hundreds of people uh, laying around that can go and work on this business. I think they need to look at buying Triller, for example, which is the, the number two kind of TikTok competitor based in the United States, just purely for the people who are then going to run this business and work on the product, because you can't have the Chinese engineers and product managers working on the code that you've now just acquired from Chinese-located ByteDance. And There's some it. real risk here. Every time we talk about the story, that's something that Maria Bartiromo brings up, is the, the people and, and what are you really buying. Alex, great to see you. Thank you so much for being here, Alex Moazad. I hope I, Alex, it's been a while. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. Please always feel free you to- You did, okay. thanks for having me. <laughs> Please feel free to correct me if I, if I foul up. Alex, great to see you. Lots of what we've been discussing on the show. Apparently Maria uh, agrees with me and has been talking about similar points. So the last thing to note on this whole kind of TikTok thing is that the um, Triller joined in a, in a bid to acquire uh, TikTok with this European private equity firm. So, so Triller is actually in the running also with a separate bid uh, to try and acquire TikTok. I think they submitted a $20 billion bid, which seems like that'll be on the low end of, of, of where the other um, c competitive bids are coming in. Maybe, maybe, for example, it's $20 billion, but that $20 billion is more front-loaded because you have the Triller team that can help execute and take over the code and, and work on the IP and is familiar with the IP, right? I mean, the Triller app and the TikTok app are probably the two closest products on the market. Um, maybe, you know, third would be what Facebook Reels is, for example. So, you know, I think because you have the team in Triller, you're lowering your execution risk which, you know, if I was structuring the bid, would make me more comfortable to front load more cash. If I was Microsoft um, or Oracle, I would try to put, you know, as uh, the least amount of cash, you know, I could, I could provide a higher total um, price tag, right? But I would have much less cash up front and much more cash backloaded after I make sure you haven't screwed me by, you know, putting malicious code in or or it doesn't compile or just all the myriad of problems that could go wrong with basically buying the shell uh, of a company for like 25 to 30 billion dollars, right? A few things that could go wrong with that. And none of the engineering or product people coming with the business. Yeah. Yeah, just a couple of things that could go wrong. So it'll be interesting to see where 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 this nets out. I think we'll actually know in the next week or so what's going on with the bids and and so on and so forth, but um yeah, CCP is not going to be happy about this, and we're we're starting to see kind of the first signs of 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 what they're going to do to influence the outcome, or you know, the say, and now they're restricting the sale. So it's clear the the power is with the CCP in 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 deciding TikTok's fate. Um, another topic is Disney. What what Kevin? Now, the former CEO of TikTok, what his prior job was just about four months ago, was running this thing called Disney Plus. And, um, you know, we've been bullish on Disney Plus. It's not a platform business. And 
this is a little delayed. I mean, Disney released their earnings at the beginning of August, but we just, you know, we, we didn't touch specifically on this point, which was, um, this article kind of sums it up nicely. Despite that it was able to report revenue of $11.78 billion, a 42% drop year over year. Um, amazingly, the company was still actually profitable. I mean, basically kind of break even, but um, <laughs> it eked out some profit, um, funnily enough. And because they've had to close their theme parks, ad revenue is down, theatrical releases are down, all this kind of stuff. But the highlight of their earnings call was strong, subscri- strong subscriber growth for its streaming services, noting that it now had more than 100 million subscribers across its multiple services. And here's what this analyst says from BMO Capital. Um, they actually, they had an outperform rating, you know, pre the earnings release and, and have continued to have outperform, but they raised their price target from 140 to $150 a share. Basically, they're, they're you know, uh, that, that it was driven by fresh long-term targets for the direct-to-consumer streaming business, that's Disney+, Plus, where we see COVID driving an acceleration of adoption and rationalization of the competitive environment. Disney remains our top pick, followed by Netflix. Interesting, right? So let's put it this way. Would any competitor, going back to platform versus not platform, platform versus aggregator theory, um, would any competitor, competitive business launched by a strong incumbent, leading incumbent, right? be able to amass, you know, a hundred million users globally, Netflix has 120 million subscribers. This looks like as of Q2 in 2020, Disney plus has a hundred million. Now I'm sure a lot of the Disney plus ones, um, you know, are, are, might still be on like free subscription, I guess, something like that, some promos. So that number might drop, might be a little inflated, but, but still let's take a step back. Can any incumbent, a large incumbent, pick any platform market? Um, actually, I have a good example of, of, of a company that will prove this wrong. But any platform market. And what are the chances, what is that incumbent's ability to become you know, a, a close number two in terms of users? I mean, look at this, right? Uh, Disney Plus is within 80% of Netflix's subscribers. And they launched it in October of 2019. So in nine months, an incumbent launches a competitive business. And in nine months, that incumbent has 80% of the consumers of the users as the leading kind of disruptor. In this case, Netflix. Name what platform market, what platform environment uh, is that possible then, right? YouTube, for example. Would, would any incumbent be able to launch a content platform um, and within literally less than 12 months come even within, say, 50% of the users as YouTube? No, it's, it's, no way is it possible. And, and we've seen this with Barry Diller's Vimeo, right? Barry Diller understands Vimeo 
uh, platforms really well. They own Expedia. They they launched Tinder, right? Like they they own Angie's List and Home Advisor and now Handy. They understand platforms. They got out of the content platform business with Vimeo. Vimeo is now kind of like a SaaS service. The answer is no. In the content industry, I cannot think of of anything like this happening. The two examples I would give are content development platform. If you think one example is uh, Epic with their PC game store to go up against Valve and the um, you know Valve's uh, Steam, the Steam kind of PC app store. Think of it just an app store on your computer for video games. Um, Epic was able to basically have similar within like 80% of volume within a year of launching. The way Epic did it, namely primary strategy was to lock in exclusive distribution agreements with top video game creators. So they locked in the that key marquee supply, the key game developers, and have their game store as the only you know distribution channel for the games uh, on the PC. So that's one example where we've seen an incumbent, a video game manufacturer in Epic, right, launch its own distribution marketplace store and within a year come within, you know, 50-80% of where the number one, you know, dominant platform player Valve and Steam was. That's one example. Second one would be Walmart and Amazon. Now that's a much more distant uh, game of catch up, but we're seeing Walmart. We're, we're seeing Walmart perform very strongly with with their marketplace, and I think they're on track to become the number two. Even if it is a somewhat distant number two, you are seeing them become that number two. So Disney spent billions of dollars buying. I mean, they bought Hulu. They bought um, the MLB something like uh, video streaming. They call it a platform. It's not really a platform. But Disney spent billions of dollars buying multiple business to get just the infrastructure to do direct-to-consumer you know, video streaming. Um, similarly, Epic spent a lot of money locking up these exclusive distribution agreements with uh, game developers. And, and also for Walmart, they spent $3 billion buying Jet. And basically at least a billion dollars every year thereafter investing in infrastructure and fulfillment. So that's to become number two. The difference with uh, Netflix versus, say, a YouTube, A, we've seen YouTube is kind of just in a league of its own. Um, you are seeing other content platforms pop up in you know, live streaming with Twitch that, that Amazon owns. Um, or you know, TikTok, like super short form video, right? So you're seeing it in different content formats. You're seeing players um, arise, which you could say, you know, have kind of a an adjacency form of competitiveness with YouTube. But that direct competitor to YouTube, we really have not seen. And then the other point on kind of platform versus aggregator is the amount of competitors, right? I don't think Disney is going to be the only competitor direct to consumer, you know, SVOD, subscription video on demand service um, that gets 100 million subscribers. I think you'll have a third, possibly a fourth. Keep in mind, you got Apple Plus, TV Plus, whatever they're calling it. Amazon has its own competitive offering. Um, 
separate from the tech monopolies, you also have uh, Comcast with Peacock. You have AT&T and HBO Max. Um, there's probably a couple others I'm forgetting. But I think you're going to have multiple of these services that have competitive you know, video offerings, um, have 100 million plus subscriber milestones. And, and that landscape, right, that competitive landscape is very different than a winner-take-all, by the way, name of the show, oh, that way, uh, name, of the, name of the show, winner-take-all, of a winner-take-all dynamic, right? You cannot have three winners in a, in a platform market. It just doesn't happen. With marketplaces, you're seeing like one or two dominant kind of multi-category product marketplace winners, Amazon, say Walmart. And then you can have a vertical specific winner, maybe two, right? Like in sneakers we're seeing or luxury goods. That's the next topic. Um, so you, you can see some kind of general winners and then a vertical specific winner. But right, just like in video, right? Or, or, or content platform, video content platforms, you have YouTube and then Twitch and these different um, content format, content platform winners. So, you know, but when you really talk one for one about a specific industry and how many winners can there be in that industry or vertical, there cannot be three. Cannot. So, um, last topic is Amazon. Back to Amazon. We have we were speaking maybe uh, one or two episodes ago about these uh, you know just every week there's another retail bankruptcy and that retailers that don't have their own product or brand are in a much more precarious position than the brands that had retail stores who are going bankrupt right because the brands that had retail stores Brooks Brothers for example. Um, Brooks Brothers is in a much better position than Sur La Table, the like kitchen retailer, um, you know, kitchen aid, those mixing machines uh, made in America, by the way, Brooks Brothers of the world are in a much better position because they just will emerge from bankruptcy, shed their retail uh, debts and those leases that they can't sustain anymore. And instead, we'll now embrace, not all, but some will embrace something called Amazon Luxury. We've heard for years kind of rumors about Amazon Luxury, and now it is coming. Amazon said, forging ahead with Luxury Platform. This was uh, a few days ago. They are circling, it looks like $100 million in budget, $100 million uh, marketing campaign to push this. Um, they're getting their own fulfillment and warehouse infrastructure in Arizona to specifically work on this inventory. 12 launch brands are understood to be higher end than those involved in, in the common threads. That's kind of on Amazon, just regular, right? They have a Vogue initiative. We've covered that on the show, Vogue and Amazon fashion initiative. The labels will operate their own concessions on the site with a business model that's more similar to the Farfetch marketplace in Platt Farfetch up way up in August, um, seeing a huge boon to their business, than Net-A-Porte. And basically, Net-A-Porte is just linear e-commerce. You know, the, the whole irony in this whole situation is that Net-A-Porte is funded by LVMH, 
all these big incumbent luxury brands. And uh, the way Net-A-Porter works is just like the fashion industry has been working for decades. You have to buy all this product from the brand, right? They come out with their catalog. And some of that catalog is super exclusive. And you know that everyone's going to want to buy that stuff. But in order to get the really fancy stuff that's going to fly off the shelves, you also need to buy the not so good stuff, right? You need to buy a whole catalog. And the brands command that uh, from the different retailers or digital retailers like Net-A-Porter. So it's, a, it's not an asset light business model. The business is still needing to buy inventory, take it on balance sheet, and then be a reseller. Farfetch changed the game. Farfetch changed the game because they embraced the fragmented distribution of boutique, you know, single location luxury retail stores. And these stores were, you know, some of Farfetch's original suppliers six, seven years ago when it was first really getting its start. And so they would they would rely on these third-party retailers. They also sell stuff that's used or, you know, slightly used. Um, so they're having new inventory and used inventory. It's not clear if Amazon is going to take used and new or just do new. I think new is going to be a much easier place for them to start. But maybe that's why you see them investing in a warehouse and investing in their own fulfillment capabilities specifically for Amazon Luxury. Because when you have used inventory, now you need to verify the authenticity of that uh, luxury product or there's a much bigger onus on verifying authenticity. You need to verify authenticity for all products, new or used. But presumably, you know, that it's just much harder to vet out on the used products. So I would imagine they'll probably start with new and then they will expand into used. I think they'll expand into used. I mean, you can buy used stuff on Amazon today. It's just not super high-end luxury goods where there's obviously going to be a lot of fraud. So I think Amazon Luxury starts in new and then will move into used. And they'll start in new. They'll have some of these manufacturers working with them directly. But then you'll be able to start to attract some of these, again, boutique kind of third-party retailers that can list new or eventually used inventory um, on Amazon Luxury. So. Um, I think, you know, this is, this is the perfect time because a lot of these retailers, um, or these luxury brands with retail stores, they don't have good e-commerce infrastructure. They don't have the ability to do fulfillment. Like, you know, let's say Hermes, right? I mean, Hermes, um, is, you know, one of the primo primo luxury brands. They've been investing in e-commerce and all these things. There's a lot of luxury brands say outside of the LVMH family, LVMH owns so many luxury brands, but there's a bunch of other luxury brands um, with, uh, you know, third rate e-commerce and fulfillment capabilities. They had some retail stores and what are they going to do? They're going to look at joining Amazon luxury. I, I think this will do well. I think th- and, and the reason why Amazon needs to spend $100 million on marketing is because I see this as having, uh, this will be interesting how they do this, a different URL. It needs to have a different presence than Amazon.com. That was the challenge for Amazon when they launched Amazon Supply. Before now you have Amazon Business, which we cover a lot on the show. 
Amazon business is the B2B version of Amazon. So, you know, wholesale products, larger quantity of products, that kind of stuff. It was originally launched as Amazon Supply at a separate URL. Amazon Supply struggled to get demand just because that user behavior, right? I mean, you need to go to a separate URL and then they basically shuttered Amazon Supply and relaunched it a couple of years later as a part of Amazon.com the centralized marketplace of Amazon. So tapping into the existing demand is a big deal for any business. Um, but, you know, including Amazon, when you're trying to get these new things going like Amazon luxury, curious to see how they try to solve that kind of demand channeling uh, challenge, which one way is I'm going to dump a hundred million dollars into marketing. Okay. There you go. So, um, I think now's good timing for this. And if I'm a far fetch or real, real, both public companies, this is a serious threat, right? This is a serious threat to, to a far fetch, uh, to a real, real, I'm sure Walmart's tracking this closely. Um, but you know, far fetch, far fetch has been booming. Far fetch also, not that expensive of a company, $9 billion market cap. And, and definitely the strongest leader in the space, uh, independent public, you know, uh, platform leader in the space. Real Real is a little bit farther behind. Farfetch, you know, started in Europe, but still has a strong presence in the United States. You also, though, have um, the kind of marketplaces that have started with sneakers, with um, StockX. And Goat, Foot Locker put $100 million into Goat. They don't do luxury designer goods. They do kind of like luxury sneakers and, and, and. That's a luxury category, people. Case you were wondering, you can now buy um, like Dior sneakers for a thousand something dollars. Probably, probably that's actually... I'm probably going way low. It's probably like $3,000. Um, so yeah, there are luxury sneakers that you can pay thousands of dollars for, um, ranging from Nike to Dior and everything else in between. But now they're branching out into other stuff like watches. I think watches is, is a big vertical for them. You know, are they getting into like women's, um, uh, you know, bags and, uh, you know, heels and these other, classic luxury product categories. Uh, not as much the StockX and goats of the world. I do think that those categories are more so where Amazon luxury will start um, rather than some of these kind of alternative categories and like a, like a StockX and a goat where, where also the manufacturing base on StockX and goat is actually much more consolidated with sneakers than it is with, broader categories of luxury goods nike and adidas being the two big uh heavyweights there with sneakers so more to come on this but i am bullish on amazon luxury and i'll i and i could see some activity maybe for a far fetch or by some other players but yeah the tech monopoly is coming into luxury marketplaces and watch out so that's it for us today on winner take all thanks for joining i will talk to you later this week